Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Let's get ready. Oh, man, I was like getting amped. Woo! Fire me up before I start preaching. It might be a long time. Let's call in some lunch, all right? Uh, sorry. My name's Kyle. I'm a student pastor. I'm glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, we're going to open up God's Word together, and um, I am so excited about the Word that the Lord has for us today. So, if you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 18, all right? If you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 18. Uh, if you uh, follow along with us, we have a live event in the Bible app. If you uh, don't have a Bible, we have some in the back of the room. Uh, we are on page 927 in those Bibles. Um, and, and so today, what I want us to look at is this picture of gospel partnership, okay? And I, I want to kind of set the table by telling two uh, kind of opposing views of what gospel partnership looks like. The first one is um, a dad fixing his car with his kid, All right? If you've ever been there, uh, it looks a little bit like this. The dad is kind of over the hood of the car doing stuff, right? Cranking bolts, unscrewing stuff, jiggling stuff, like trying to figure things out, right? Uh, but normally the dad is the one that's kind of doing all the work and the kid is kind of standing behind him and it's like, hey, can you get me the pliers? And the kid's like, well, dad, I don't really know what the pliers look like. And so kind of dad, okay, here's what the pliers look like as patiently as they can, right? Uh, but eventually, uh, the kid learns what all the tools are, and hey, hand me the wrench, hand me the wrench, hand me the pliers. And so, but the dad's doing the majority of the work. Occasionally, the kid shine the flashlight on something, right, that they need to see. Um, but the dad is the one getting all his getting the dirt under his fingernails, right? The kid inevitably is dirty, but it's not because they're working on the car. It's because they're, they're kids, right? And I think so many people, when they think about gospel partnership, when they think about what the, what the church looks like, it's that. It's the pastors are the ones getting their hands dirty under the hood. And then the people that go to the church are the ones that are handing the tools to the pastors. But they're doing the heavy lifting of ministry, I don't believe that that's biblical. Um, I think this is the picture that God has given us. Um, and that we experienced it a couple years ago when Hurricane Harvey came through. Um, gospel partnership is not a couple people or one main person doing all the work and everyone handing them tools. Gospel partnership looks like um, all hands on deck, right? When Harvey hit, the blessing of Harvey was... The church mobilized itself in an incredible way. And the gospel was brought forth in so many different uh, avenues of people's lives, right? We would show up. Like, I got the opportunity to show up with a group of kids, right? We showed up with, like, a, a trash can full of tools. We show up to people's house, knock on their door, like, hey, we're here to help. We're from Heritage Park. They're like, awesome. And they're like, well, where are all the adults? I'm like, don't worry, we got this. And we show up, and there's, like, sledgehammers and knives and crossbows, I felt like. I don't know. There are so many different weapons. And um, we're like, okay, we assess the situation. How much water did you get? What do we need to do? Okay, kind of mobilize everyone. And then 
Like, I'm holding them back. I'm holding the kids back because they're ready to go, right? Everybody was ready to go because they wanted to help. Because they saw a need and they wanted to help. So I let unleash the hounds and then everyone's in a different room, like, taking out sheetrock, taking out stuff, taking stuff to the, the curb. Like, it's insane how well we were able to mobilize people. And then people that weren't able to, like, go out into the heat and get sweaty um, and dirty and disgusting, there was a whole different group of people that were up here at the church sorting clothes, handing out supplies to people that didn't have anything, feeding people. Everyone played a part. Whether that was because you felt guilty or whether that was because you felt like you needed to do something to help out the people in our community who lost everything. Everyone was mobilized for the gospel. And this is what gospel partnership looks like. This is what it looks like for us to be the church. It's not one guy or a couple people that know what they're doing under the hood moving all the things and us handing tools to them It's everyone, all hands on deck, doing ministry. So we're going to look at that in uh, Acts 18. And I I don't believe it's a coincidence that we, the book of Acts is, it's a book about the church coming to life, right? That there's churches being planted all over the place. And we are looking at Acts 18 where the church is planted in Corinth. Uh, We've been talking as a church about planning uh, a church for about a decade now. So many people uh, have heard this language, but we've kind of been leveraging this idea up over the last couple months. You've probably felt the, the temperature come up a little bit. And if we are, and I, well, and I don't believe that that's a coincidence because we're walking through a book of planting churches that our church is starting to get the excitement, the realization that this might start happening soon. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at how Paul uses gospel partnerships to plant the, the church in, uh, in Corinth in, in Acts 18. But before we do that, we want to set the stage for what's happening, right? He just left uh, Rome, or just left Athens, sorry. Just left Athens, right? We looked a couple, the last couple weeks of, at Paul's sermon on Mars Hill, right? And in, in this sermon, um, he... He does something that's really interesting. He, he really simplifies the gospel, and this kind of changes the trajectory of the way he was teaching. And when he came to, to Corinth, he had a simple message. And we see this as he writes in 1 Corinthians what his message was. He says, when I came to you, I preached Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I preached Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. That was the gospel that he preached. And that is the gospel that we have today. That is the simplistic gospel. Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. There's a lot of implications that, uh, that kind of come along with that, right? Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is why he got thrown out of the synagogue, right? Because he's claiming that Jesus is the Christ. That's a big deal. That he is God, And the fact that he was crucified is a big deal because that means that we all have sin in our lives that cause separation between us and God. This is the gospel that he's extending out, like that Jesus had to die because we aren't good enough to fix ourselves. That we have sins, that we have done things that that have broken God's law that causes us separation between, between us and God. And Jesus was the only way to bring that separation together. 
But not only Jesus crucified, but Jesus crucified and resurrected because we don't serve a, a, a God that was murdered. We serve a God that willingly sacrificed his life and then came back to life. That he defeats sin on the cross and he defeats death in the resurrection. And that we, as those who put our faith in Jesus, this is the gospel that he's explaining to people. That those who put their faith in Jesus die, or we are dead, but then we die to sin and we are brought to life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we were dead people and now alive people. Guys, this message is an offensive message. Because it tells people that you're, you are not a good person like you've been telling yourself. No matter what you've done, you are not good. But we serve a good God that extends grace to those who don't deserve it. That is the message that Paul is preaching in Corinth. And we need to make sure that we're all on the same page as we look at how the church is planted because it wasn't planted because he had a great strategy. He was planted because he preached the gospel. And the gospel brings life to dead people. And there was no church, and now there's a church. So Acts 18 verse 1. That's just like the pre-sermon, so... I preached for like an hour and a half in the first service, it felt like. So let's try to go fast. All right, Acts 18 verse 1 says this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, right? Just hold on a second. Corinth, probably 200,000 people, metropolitan area, full of lots of debauchery that's happening, sin, all these kinds of things, right? Um, verse 2. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, and, uh, and re recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had um, commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied, or a, a, a better way to, for us to understand that word is Paul began to be occupied um, with the word testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. These uh, Silas and Timothy brought a gift that then mobilized him from having to keep working, and then he got to go to the temple every day, to the synagogue every day, and share the gospel, right? Verse 6. I'm just trying to set the framework so that we're all on the same page. And when he opposed, uh, when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own hands. I am innocent. From now, uh, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus, uh, Titius Justus, um, a worshiper of God. And his house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, listen, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. 
All right, so um, I want us to see a couple things about gospel partnerships. And the first thing is, what do gospel partnerships look like? Um, and I believe that this text makes a very strong um, argument um, for gospel partnerships looking like everyday people doing ministry. Uh, we see this through a couple different um, people that show up. Everyday people doing ministry. Right off the bat, he, in, um, he is met up with Priscilla and Aquila. Blue-collar workers, business owners... Who, he, who allowed Paul to come work with him to provide some money for him to live on so then he could go to the synagogue on the Sabbath and proclaim the gospel, right? Um, these are everyday people doing ministry, right? Priscilla and Aquila, if you know anything about their lives, uh, we'll see next week, they uh, kind of catch on to the fire that Paul has um, and, are, and are encouraged by Paul. And eventually, they're out sharing the gospel with people as well. They end up sharing the gospel with this guy named Apollos, who uh, is like a heavy hitter in Corinth and planting the church there. I mean, they are doing... Eventually, you'll, you'll see in the book of Rome, uh, in the book of Romans, that they helped uh, a significant amount in planting the church in Rome. Priscilla and Aquila, blue-collar workers, everyday people doing ministry. And we see um, uh, Titius Justice, right? He, uh, we don't know much about him. We know that he owns a house next to the synagogue. And what does he do? Opens up his home to be used by the Lord in order to uh, advance the kingdom of God, right? Doing ministry, opening up their doors. Uh, ministry for so many people, you think ministry are the people that are teaching. That's not always the case, Ministry happens so many different ways, right? If you don't have a place to meet, where do you meet? Well, let's find a house. This guy opened up there his house. That's ministry. Uh, you see the life of uh, uh, Timothy and, and, and Silas. They uh, uh, kind of are following after Paul, bringing him good news of what God's doing in some of the other churches that they have planted, come bearing gifts that frees Paul up to, for more ministry. This is Everyday people doing ministry. We see uh, the ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, come to know Jesus, him and his entire family. So what we see here is we see blue-collar people doing ministry, and we see white-collar people doing ministry. We see poor people doing ministry. We see rich people doing ministry. We see everyday people doing ministry. It's not Paul under the hood, hey, hand me the wrench. It's Priscilla and Aquila out, getting dirty, breaking down walls and sharing the gospel. Yeah, Paul was doing ministry, absolutely. He was preaching, he was doing what God has gifted him to do. But all these other people were doing what God has gifted them to do as well to advance the kingdom of God. It's everyday people um, doing ministry. We see them, uh, that God has given every single person who is a follower of Jesus, you're called the royal priesthood. That it's not just the pastor's job to, to advance the gospel, 
That it's everyday people's job to advance the gospel. And we, we see this um, through uh, people using it in avenues of work, people using um, their jobs, their vocations to advance the gospel through uh, allowing people to work with them so they can make some money and um, then then do ministry. You see this through uh, people using their influence in society to invite people into their home, right? I would imagine that being at Tish's Justice House, there's many people coming in and out of his house that aren't followers of Jesus. And him saying, hey, I'm opening up my house for uh, the church to start meeting in. People will take something from someone who is influential and say, well, I'll listen to what he has to say. They come in and hear the gospel and their lives are transformed. This is what I want you to hear. When everyday people are doing ministry, there's no favoritism. Uh, this, is what, this is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says this um, in verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that they were quarreling among you, my brothers, right? So he's writing to the church at, at Corinth years later. It's been reported to me that there's been quarreling, verse 12. What I mean is that each one of you is saying, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? No. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. When everyday people do ministry, it's not, oh, I follow Trent, and when he's preaching, then God is moving in our lives. Now, here's the deal. The people right here are more influential for the sake of the gospel than the person that's standing up here. When life falls apart, it's the people right here who are there with you, who are bringing you meals, who are praying with you in the hospital who are crying with you over heartbreak, who are letting you stay in their home. It's the church, everyday people doing ministry. We have a phrase that we use around here is that um, transformation happens more often in a circle than it does in a row. And so what we need to understand that everyday people do ministry and everyday people must have eternal conversations. This is part of how we do ministry, right? We have eternal conversations. We see Paul doing this. He goes to the synagogue daily and reasons with people. But then we see Priscilla and Aquila doing this and looking at Apollos' life and explaining them the truth of the gospel. Everyday people having eternal conversations, uh, this past week, I was, um, it was loud up here. It came from the city, guys. Um, there was like 170 people, but they're like gremlins. When you put water on them, they, they multiply. And I, and I was like, I just need to go and find a quiet place. So I went to Starbucks and put my headphones in. And the only seat was next to somebody that, a friend of mine. And so we ended up chatting a little bit and put my headphones back in. But we had, we had finished talking and my head, my volume was still down and I was kind of, writing, and I kind of overhear this young girl sitting next to me kind of sobbing. I'm like, God, seriously? 
Like, I came here to get some work done. Lord, you know that I have to preach on Sunday, right? And he just kept working on my heart. Okay. But I have this important work to do. Just kept working on my heart. And so you've probably been like in that battle between the Lord. Like he's telling you to do something. I got other things to do, God. And they're for you. He's like, yeah. Take my headphones out. And this is all I do. I, I take my headphones out and I look at this girl. And I said, are you okay? That's all I said. And It was so good. We got to sit and talk for 30 minutes about relationships, about how to have godly relationships. Got to invite her into our church. I, all I did was listen to the Lord and ask a question. So many of us, we have a lot of conversations but we don't have a whole lot of eternal conversations. And those eternal conversations start by listening to what God has called us to do and responding. Just like Paul has, just like all these people in this story have, and just like you guys have. We have this culture of invitation that we have talked about here at the church. But here's the reality. We've kind of throttled up the brought the temperature up on this idea of church planting of late. But here's the deal, guys. Like, We live in an area that there are a lot of people who do not know Jesus. There's a lot of people. Throw that 4B slide up. I did it at the end. I'm going to talk about it right now. 600,000 people right now in this area, and that number is like growing by the day, right? They're building houses down 45 like they're going out of style. Thousands of homes going up, more homes going up. Census data tells us 55 per so, uh, or so percent of these people have no relationship with God at all, have no religious affiliation. I have a question for you. We just sang about it We've talked about it. This is the gospel that sin causes separation from God. And the only way to bring that separation or to close that gap is through the sacrifice that Jesus made. That Jesus, the Christ, was crucified and resurrected Three hundred thousand plus people, some of which you sit next to at work, you see at Starbucks and next door to you. If we believe that the gospel is true, let's just take that as a baseline. If we believe that sin separates us from God. If we believe that and that the only way to 
to make these people who are separated from God, which uh, Ephesians says that we are dead in our trespasses, these dead people. The only way to give these people life is through Jesus Christ. If we believe that that is a true statement, which if you're coming to church, you probably would say, yeah, I believe that sin separates us from God, we're dead in our iniquities, that, that it's Jesus Christ is the only way to be made right, to be brought from death to life. If that is the statement that we all believe, right? Then the people that are next to us, 55% of the people, 300,000 plus people are dead people. They are dead people. And we would be Mean, maybe, maybe pushing on evil to see dead people and not share with them how to experience life. This happens when everyday people are doing ministry. 300,000 plus people, they're not going to come to church. But they'll have a conversation with you. They'll answer you when you ask them what's going on in their life. If they're okay. They're dead. And Jesus defeats sin and death. He can rescue them. So everyday people doing ministry. So let's look at what this looks like practically, just really quickly. I did this in the first service. It took too long in the first part, but this is important, so I don't want to rush through it. So listen quickly. To what end are we going to do this? To what end does this look like? If we believe the gospel is true, and therefore we need to share the gospel with those around us who are perishing and dead, what does that look like? First thing, that we live missionally. That we live missionally. Um, that we live in community. That you uh, ruthlessly protect the time that you have dedicated to live in community with people, whether that um, is a Sunday school class, a small group, a Bible study, that you have people who are your people that know what's going on in your life and that when life happens, when craziness happens, they can look at you and be like, hey, bro, like, why haven't you been coming to church? Hey, like, you're my friend, and I know that you have not been, like, walking with the Lord lately. Like, what's going on? That only happens in community. So if you want to live missionally, you need to ruthlessly protect your community, your people who are push, investing in your life, that, you, that you're open to change. Hold on, Kyle. We can live in community, but we are Baptists. We do not change. Paul, you see him going from working, like white collar training, blue collar working, white collar working, like he's open to change. Why? Because the most important thing to him is not what he's doing. It's the story that he's sharing, the gospel, the good news that can bring dead people to life. This is the only thing that won't change in him is that he will preach Christ crucified and resurrected 
Whatever else he's doing, that doesn't matter as long as this thing is constant. We have to be open to change as well. We see people opening up their homes. You can imagine all of these people who live in a pagan city, they're coming to know Jesus, start coming into your house. No, no, we have some nice stuff. Stuff starts getting stolen and broken, but it's for the kingdom. So it's okay. I'm willing to change. And being able to say yes. God's calling people to do things. And I I get to ask people to do so many things. It's one of the more fun things about my job because I have no like, problem with being rejected. It's part of like maybe my high school experience. I don't know. But I call people all the time like, hey, do you want to help out with this? Do you want to do this? They're like, no, no, no. I'm like, cool. I'm going to ask you next time I come around. I just want to let you know. Man, we need to be ready, the kind of people that are ready to say yes, that are living missionally. Um, so we live missionally. We think practically. You have to ask these questions to yourself about thinking practically. What resources has God given you? What relationships has God given you? And what abilities has God given you? And how are you leveraging those for the advancing of the gospel? You see um, Priscilla and Aquila being business owners and being able to use that business to mobilize ministry. Um, You see Titius opening up his home um, with resources. You see relationships like Timothy and Silas investing into Paul. You see... um, Abilities. Man, so many cool abilities are in this passage. People, from um, the upfront abilities like reasoning with people in the, in the synagogue to kind of like the behind the scenes abilities like hosting. And some of you guys, man, you're not going to, you're not going to go and prepare a Bible study and teach it eloquently. That's not, that's not your giftedness. But you know what you can do the way God has gifted you? You can make a meal. You can prepare a meal and open up your home and break bread with someone who doesn't know Jesus and invite them into the gospel that you're living. Think practically. Everyone's not going to be a teacher. We don't need everyone to be a teacher. We need everyone to go into those houses like we did in Harvey and do the work that God has given you to do, that God has placed in front of you. So we live missionally. We think practically. And the last thing is that we trust fully. And I want us to look at this passage right here. It's going so fast. So much to say, guys. Pay attention. Uh, Verse 9, chapter 18. This is so good. This is so good. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed there a year and six months teaching the word and of God among them. But when uh, Gallio, uh, the proconsul of Achaia, the, Jew, the Jews were united um, in an attack against Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persecuting people, or, or sorry, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, for a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. 
They drove them out of the tribunal, and they all see Sothis, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in the front of the tribunal, but Gallio paid no attention to any of this. This is what I want you guys to see, that we need to trust fully. We, we need to remember these three things, and then we're going to end, okay? Remember that God's got your back. Remember God's got your back. Do not be afraid. Go on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you. This is what he said to Paul. He said, hey, Paul, be bold. I got your back. I got your back. And then the next thing that we see is Paul gets bamboozled, right? He's standing before this judge. He's like, God, you said you had my back. Yeah, I got your back. Remember, God has your back. Remember, God has a plan. Paul's about to open up his mouth and, and figure out how to get out of this. But someone opens up their mouth. God uses someone else because he had a plan. And this ruler says, no, I'm not dealing with this stuff. We have to trust in God fully. Remember, he has your back. He has a plan, but more importantly than any of those things is this. Verse 10, Jesus is speaking to Paul. And he says this, I have many in this city who are my people. I have many in this city, who are my people. In Corinth, in the 4B area, 300,000 plus people who do not know Jesus, they are what the Bible calls dead in their trespasses, dead in the lives that they're living. But Jesus is looking at the people at Heritage Park and he says, hey, hold, hold on, hold on a second. There may be 300,000 plus people there, but there are many who are mine and we are going to go get them. And the best way to do that is to plant churches, not to big, big, build bigger buildings, not to have cooler programs, is to have the everyday people looking at everyday people and doing life with them and sharing the gospel with them. This is what it looks like. Everyday people doing ministry. Why? Man, there's a lot of people out there and they're Jesus people. They just don't know it yet. They might not even be moved into this community yet, but they are his. He has marked them. He's working in their hearts and their lives. And if we believe the gospel... If we believe that these people are dead and we have an antidote, we have the truth that we can give them that can bring forth life, then who are we to just sit back and be part of a church and say, oh, hopefully people show up today. I don't know. It's a low Sunday. I'm sorry. No. Why aren't we out there investing our lives in people, looking at our coworkers who are dead people and say, hey, I have some good news to share with you. And they might look at you and say, get out of my face. And that happened to Paul. And what does he do? Okay, hey, I, my job is to share the gospel. God's job is to bring faith. That's Romans 1.16. 
We can't use that as a crutch. Well, what if it makes our conversations awkward in the future? So, these people are dead. What's more awkward than that? You looking at a dead person and saying, hey, I have the gift of life and I'm not gonna share it with you. God has many people that he's calling and we get to be a part of that. So here's my question, so we're gonna close. What is God stirring in you? What is he stirring in you? And then who, who are you investing in? Or who do you need to be investing in for the sake of the gospel? He has many in the city. The coolest thing is he wants to use us. Broken and busted people. so that these people might come to life. Let's pray.